All right, thank you, Danny and Bonnie. Our scripture reading this morning is from Galatians 2, verses 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and works of, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Thank you, Veju. So we are in our second week of a new series entitled um, Freedom, or Free to be Free in the Gospel. And what's interesting was that after Mission Sunday, I was like, yes, I can relax. Um, it felt like it was like a long weekend. Uh, and then Matt comes into the office and he goes, you're preaching. I was like, okay. And I never say yes, because usually it's based on the, on the Bible verse. And when I read it, I was like, ooh. Uh, and I was like, do I need to preach on this one? And he's like, yeah, well, you know. Oh, and, that's, and, and we just had a conversation. To the point was that I, w- I was freaking out. Right? I was like, there's a lot of words there. Uh, it looks foreign language to me, even though, I, like Bonnie was saying, I have grew up in church all my life. But there were a lot of words there. And when you read it, it got really confusing. Lots of repetition. Lots of words that are big words in the Christian faith. So that was the weekend. I was like, and then I got sick on top of that. And I didn't have the mental capacity to start processing and everything. So we got to Monday, and we were talking to Brandon and Chad, and I was like trying to barter and trade. I was like, can you trade? Can, you know, can we change dates? And they're like, yeah. And Brandon is on fire. He's like, yeah, I'll do it. And he goes, wait, I can't. And then uh, I think Chad was the same thing. And then Matt is like, well, I could do it. You really want me to do it? I was like, yeah, why not? So after long, long discussions, they're like, no, this will be good for your growth. So today, you get the painful growth of my learning of the sermon. So a lot of the things happen in our life, right? We, when we see things that we're not accustomed to, and I'm the type of person that I'm very, like, I don't like change. I don't like change. I have lived in Washington, D.C. all my life. Uh, I'm very comfortable with just, just being who I am. I, you know, it, it took a long time to be comfortable in terms of I'm not very intellectual, I'm not very smart, I'm not logical, I'm not analytical, I don't like big words, I get bored really easily when people start talking about like, you know, theology and stuff like that, my brain just shuts down. So I had to like push through this week. So in essence, this is what I felt like, like a pop quiz, right? All of us have gone through it. Maybe you were sick one day, or maybe you came into campus or taking a class, and all of a sudden the teacher goes, just to make sure that you're reading the material, let's have a pop quiz. And obviously you're not prepared. 
So anxiety sets in, then you get scared, then your breathing goes off the roof, your blood pressure goes off. That's how, in essence, I felt this whole week. So the entire week, I'm reading books and books and books and commentaries, looking for different things just to simplify those words that we use all the time, but yet pretty much are not comfortable with it. So I'm going to guide you through my process. It might be as painful as it was for me, but here we are, okay? It's all Matt's fault, just remember that. (laughs) So today we're going to be learning about the doctrine of justification by faith. Once again, big words. Please do not shut down your brains like I did, right? We're going to go through it, and we're going to guide you through the process, define it, and hopefully at the end you're like me today. You're more assured of your faith. You're gracious and thankful for the sacrifice of Christ at the cross. And that gives you freedom like Bonnie was saying, to share the gospel with others. Because if you are secure of what you believe, guess what? That gives you assurances. Eliminate some of the doubts, some of the fears that you might have when people start pushing back or start asking questions about what is grace? How do you define grace? What do you mean by faith? What is justification? So we're going to go today and literally define all this terminology in a simple format that once we start reading the scriptures, we can kind of impute those things and hopefully make sense, okay? So here we go. I'm a college professor, so definitions. That's how I start all my classes. So let's start defining all these words that will appear in Galatians 2.16. The first one is justification. What is justification? The simplest form that we can think about it is the declaration. God declares us righteous. So that adds another word that we're like, righteous? We know the meaning, we have heard it before, but why is it there? So by God declaring us righteous, it's not because of who we are or what we have done. We don't deserve it, we're not worthy, there's nothing we can do to receive that justification from God. What's interesting here is that we are made righteous because of Jesus. He walked a righteous life. He lived without sin. Therefore, God gave him the righteousness so we can receive it. Now, a Bible verses will be very helpful if you're taking notes. Where do we see that manifested in the Bible? Clearly defined, Romans 3, 23 to 25. If you have it, if you don't, you can read it later. But let me just read it to you. Romans 3, 23, 25 says, For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, we're not justified. That's it. We're born sinners. We don't have access to him. Because God is a holy God. God is a just God. And he also is a righteous God. But, on verse 27, it says, And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to receive by faith. Now, one of the things that is important about justification is that someone had to pay the price that you and I needed to pay for our sinful life. So it's not just a gift. There's also a very deep price that was paid at the cross for us. We didn't have to pay for it. Jesus Christ did that for us. And that's where justification not only is a declaration, but it's also an act. Someone paid fully the price that you and I needed to pay. And as we continue to read Romans 25, to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness 
because of his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Now, forever is also a legal term that says that he has the right to claim a price. But he did and gave Jesus that right to pay for our price. So I want to pay for that price. So justification is the declaration by Christ or by God to make us righteous because of who Jesus is. Now, every time we think about justification, we also have to think about righteousness. Righteousness is a perfect holiness in the right relationship with God that can only be achieved through Jesus Christ. So God is holy. He cannot be near proximity of sin. So Jesus is the way, the path, and he is the one that paid the full price so we can have a restored relationship with our Creator. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That is why Jesus allows us and asks us to a holy God. So we've been justified by the declaration, and we have been made righteous because of Jesus Christ. So this is where faith comes in. Faith is trusting and receiving God's provisions of Christ. That he came down, he died for us, that our sins were paid full at the cross, that he resurrected the third day, and he will come back for us. That's in essence what we're believing so as you begin to think about all these words are all related to one another. So when we get to Galatians 2.16 and we see justification said three times in one Bible verse, it's because it's extremely important for Christians to understand what is justification. When Paul is using that word, he's assuming that as Christians we have an understanding of justification. Therefore, he's tying a lot of words to that particular uh, verse. So we know in Hebrew 11.1 1, that faith is defined as now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Faith is extremely important for Christians to embrace what God did, sending his son to die at the cross. The last word is grace. Grace is an unearned, underserved, freely given gift or favor. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So as we begin to unpack all these words, we begin to see there's a rationale, there's a logical explanation where we see justice and righteousness as combined words. When we think about faith and grace, we see them also combined. So we as Christians, and once Paul is writing this letter, it's important to know there's, as Matt preached last week, so go back to that video and look at it, right? There's a dispute between Paul and Peter. They're at it, two Christians fighting over theology and doctrine. And Paul is reminding Peter, as he reminds us today, why have we not been saved by works but by faith? So just remember, as Christians, we need to be reminded of that. 
I remember growing up, similar to Bonnie's story. I'm, I don't even remember what generation I am. I think I'm fourth or fifth generation Christian, fourth generation pastor on one side, third generation Christian on the other side. This language was just common in our, but there was never an explanation for it. And I remember wrestling through my faith in college and high school. And I remember very clearly a Sunday, a pastor came and he was defining what is meant to be saved. And how do you know you're saved? And for whatever reason, I got interrupted that day. And that haunted me. I was like, I missed the answer. Right? I missed it. There was no recording back then in the 1990s. Right? You couldn't go back and hit replay. There was no recording of the... And I was like, what was it that I missed? And it took me many years to be comfortable that I was saved by grace. That I didn't need to, like, be extra good. I didn't need to do extra stuff to earn that salvation. And it took me years to be comfortable knowing that I was a sinner. That I was imperfect. There was nothing I could do to earn my salvation. Now with that, as we're going to get a little more deeper in the sermon... That gives us freedom. But freedom for what? What is the purpose that we get that freedom? What do we do with that freedom? And that is hope today that you're able to explore that a little bit more. So as we begin to move away from the definitions, just know that justification is a declaration of righteousness, but it's also a legal declaration of you not being guilty, even though you deserve to be guilty. So the creation of uh, justification is his declaration, a gracious act of God by which he declares. This is important because justification is an act, not a process. That is sanctification, which we're not going to get into that today. It's once for all a declaration. Once you've been justified, you're, more, you're not more justified the next day or more justified 10 years from now. It's an immediate act. We're justified once for all. It's a declaration of us being just. We don't deserve it. You have not earned it. But God gives it to you. He declares it. The other aspect of justification is that it's a legal declaration that you're no longer guilty. You no longer have to pay the price of your sin. It's a legal declaration. There's the word picture in, uh, in the scripture of justification. is a pro pronouncing, uh, pro proclaiming that God says you're not guilty. And furthermore, it's an eternal declaration. So think about that. You have been made justice right now. And the ramifications of that have eternal ramifications. To be justified in the Bible means to be declared of a man on trial that he is not liable for any penalty but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation. So you are free, no longer have to pay the penalty for your sins. Jesus did that at the cross. I was hearing a sermon, I think last week, and one way that they explained this, this process was there were two friends that grew up. One ended up being a judge, one ended up being a businessman. Eventually, the businessman got charged for embezzlement. And it just happened that he appears at the court of his friend. Whether that's a true story or not, don't know, right? There's a conflict of interest there. But then the media was picking it up, right? And they were saying, is he going to be just to his friend? 
Is he going to throw the book just to make an example of it, or he's going to be lenient? So the story goes on, and he says, as the final judgment came in, and as everything, the evidence came through, and the trial ends, the friend, the judge, throws the book at his friend. He gives him the maximum sentence. That is justice, to a certain extent. But then the other act came in, and that's the friendship aspect. He takes off his robe and says to his friend, you don't have to pay the penalty, which is a one million bond. He says, I have mortgaged my house so you can let be and be free. In essence, that's what Jesus does. We were guilty. Someone needed to pay the price. So it's not the fact that I'm justified just because there's a declaration, but there was also an act at the cross. We bypass that. We don't think about the significance of that price that was paid at the cross for me to be justified, to make right with God. So now, after a long introduction, we can get into our Bible verse. So hopefully now you have some of the words there, multiple definitions, multiple examples. So when you read Galatians 2.16, now you are not afraid like I was last week of the repetitions of the words, of the faith, of the grace, of righteousness. Just pull it out. Right? So let's read it together. And as you read it, right, begin to think about how does this make sense to you as a Christian today? So Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that our person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Three times justification comes up. What makes us justified? What does not make us justified? How you are not allowed to earn justification by works. And no longer you're tied to the law, but now you're in grace. And you receive all of that by what? By faith. So he's untangling all of this for you. That verse is the key to begin to understand why are we justified with Christ. Now, one of the things that helps me a lot, especially when I'm asked to preach on Bible verses that probably I would never preach on, right, is there's a process. Number one is just like pray over it, right? There's stuff there that last week I had no idea what it was. Or I knew it, but it didn't make sense. I could not explain it to you in a very somewhat confident way, right? Look up the words. Take it out, right? Look at your definitions, Go into what we have, Google, right? Allows us to look for different words. Personalize it. What does it mean for me to be justified? Something that else helps me a lot just because of different words, just diff read different Bible versions, right? Sometimes the words are just simplified and a little bit easier. Luckily, I'm bilingual, so I can go through my Spanish version right there and look up, oh, that makes sense, right? Why do they use that big word? They could have used another word, right? Or vice versa, right? If I'm reading something in Spanish, it doesn't make sense. I go into the English, and it's like, oh, that makes sense. Why well, didn't I use that word, right? So it allows us to understand, and I think for our children, sometimes we use these big words. 
And even at church, right, we're coming here with large vocabularies that people are just looking at us and they're like, what did you just say? Use your own words. Does it make sense to you when you read it? And repeat the process again and again. So I have a little exercise here for you. So we just changed the Bible uh, verse, right? And we changed a different version of the Bible. And then just simplify the words. Where it says we, I just added the well community church because it's talking to believers. And where it says I, put your name in it. It gives you a different feel. It makes it more personable. So as we read it, right, it says the well community church knows that I, Ronald, is made right. In other words, justified with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Not by obeying the law. The well has believed in Christ Jesus so that as a church we are right, justified with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we have obeyed the law, for none will ever be made right, will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. It changes the meaning a little bit. Now, we're not taking out of context, we're not changing the words as much, but justification is the same thing. It's talking to us believers. But it's also talking to me as an individual. What does it mean for me to be justified, to be made right with God? And that provides us a different perspective. We're not blurred anymore, right? It allows us to see the words and not be scared of them. It allows us to own them, apply them, share with other individuals that might be struggling with, like myself, with large words. And all of that allows us to live more freely to understand the gospel and to share it with others. So now we're going to go to the key verse in the Bible uh, for this passage, and it's 2 Galatians 20. And same thing, we're going to break it down into four sections. I'm not modifying anything, it's literally word by word. But there are four key concepts there that I want you to begin to wrestle with and begin to think about And once we begin to understand how has God made us justified, made us right, then hopefully that lead us to a joyful, lead us to be more grateful and allows us to respond more promptly to the the sacrifice on the cross. So when we read Galatians 2.20, I'm going to read it and then come back to it. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Four large concepts are all tied in into this Bible verse. Number one, I have been crucified with Christ. Think about that notion. I think we miss the notion that we have been crucified with Christ. We're here. We are here. Why? Because Jesus died for us. I have been crucified with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. But for what reason? So you can have spiritual freedom. So you can understand the sacrifice of what he did at the cross. Now, but what do you do with that spiritual freedom? I think this is something else that we wrestle with. We are saved by grace. I embraced it. I received it. 
but what do I do without salvation? What do I do with that freedom that now I have that I should have died for my sins? What do you do? And this is where we struggle a lot when I talk to individuals about things like, are you willing to go on a mission trip? Oh, well, you know, it's too dangerous. Or the famous question is, is it safe where you're going? And the answer is no, it's not safe. That's the reason why we go. All right? What are you going to do there? I have no idea. That's why we're going. All right? Am I going to be using my skill sets that God has provided me? I'm not a very good salesperson in terms of missions, right? What does the budget look like? How is the breakdown? How is God working there? And someone said, what do you know? Like, I know that I don't know much. So when we begin to wrestle with this, it allows us the freedom to take steps of obedience, but of boldness as well. And we begin to think about how we are living in this Western consumerism, capitalist, American, whatever else adjective you want to put in there. Right? It tells us that we're not or should not take risks. And furthermore, our kids should not be put in harm's way. And I always said this, you know who are the greatest risk for children and youth to go into missions or to create a life of full-time ministry? You know who the biggest obstacle is? Who is it? Say it louder because you know the answer. The parents. Over and over and over again. And don't get me started with the children of pastors, right? Pastors will say, "Mm, not my daughter. She can't go. It's too dangerous. Or even like my parents, right? There are believers. There are pastors. And when we say that we're going to take the grandchildren to places, they're like, you can't take them. You can't go. So what is it that it means to be free in Christ, to be crucified by him? That means that my aspirations, my expectations, my 401k, my degrees, my goals, my children should have all been crucified as well. See, this is where we get it wrong, right? This is where we all get it wrong. I get it wrong. Well, we begin to think that the things that I have and that I've been given is for me to have. No, they're to be used for the kingdom of God. If God gives me children, I'm going to leverage those children for them to be arrows in the hands of warriors. And they cannot be arrows in the hands of the warriors if I'm afraid to launch them, to send them, not to the safest parts of the world, but where the gospel is needed the most. And we have had these conversations with Matt. And there's no surprise. I'm like, Ukraine should be our standard of mission trips. It should be where we are racing to go. And we had like internal joke with the, the Ukrainian team. I was like, 
Matt has given us the green light to take an elite force to go to Israel. And then, <laughs> and then one of the key members, she's like, really? She's like, yeah. She's like, should I ask my f- husband? I was like, well, maybe. But this should be something natural. should be something that we aspire to. Not because we love danger, but because no other Christian is going to go. No other church is going to release their members to be in places of hostility and danger where there is a more chance of not coming back than coming back. And the other question is, was it safe? No, it was not safe. The places that we should be aspiring is where the gospel is needed the most. That gives us spiritual freedom to go. Not because we want to, because Christ has allowed us to be free for the gospel to be shared among those people that don't know Jesus. I was talking to someone yesterday at a meeting, and he's like, what an amazing opportunity in Ukraine where the gospel is flourishing. I was like, no kidding. The gospel flourishes where there is persecution and war, not where there is abundance. Just look at America. Well, we're still in point number one. Number point, number two, it is no longer who I live, but Christ who lives in me. That gives you an, an expectation of submission and obedience. So if Christ is living in me, guess what he should be doing? He should be transforming me. He should be making me more like Jesus, where he sees individuals for who they are, the sinners. He ate with them. He saw the Samaritan woman, and he went to her. He went to regions where the Jewish people she were not allowed to go. Christ broke all those rules to save the one. What kind of life are we living? Is it a life of submission to the Bible, to Christ? Is it a life of obedience to Christ? Or is it a life of submission and obedience to our 401k, to our jobs, our careers, our material possessions? What kind of freedom do we have in Christ? And as you always take an answer, right? If you don't know the answer in a multiple choice question, you always answer, C is Jesus, right? (laughs) If you don't know the answer of what is grace, Jesus is the answer, right? If you don't know what justification is, Jesus is the answer. It's always Jesus, always Jesus. So it doesn't matter whether you're prepared to take the pop quiz on justification, right? Jesus is the answer. He paid the ultimate price. I'm glad you got the joke. I'm glad, all right? I was hesitant. All right, number three. We're still in uh, second, uh, Galatians 2, 20, uh, 20, right? And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That gives us purpose. It gives us an identity in Christ. It has eternal ramifications. And one of the things that is powerful that I have experienced in my life is that generations after generations after generations, someone prayed for me. hundred years ago in El Salvador, this indigenous couple received Christ. And that has led us for a legacy of four generations. 
Am I praying for my children and my grandchildren and my grandchildren to continue the legacy that was planted back in 1900? What is the purpose that we are living in? What is the identity that we have in Christ that we're passing along to our children? And the final part of Galatians 2.20, who loved me and gave himself for me, that sacrificial love that Jesus did at the cross. But what do we do with that love? Do we hide it? Are we scared to share it with others? Because we don't know if they're going to like what we say, are we going to lose their friendship, or they might ask us tough questions. What do we do with that sacrificial love? It is my hope and my prayer that as a church, we share that love, not just locally, but globally as well. We have guides in the back, right? How to share the gospel. We had a training on Wednesday, different techniques. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what class you take. It doesn't matter if you understand the theology or doctor, you know, the doctrine. Is do you understand the sacrifice of the cross? And if you do, then you must respond to that sacrifice. We are compelled to respond to that sacrificial love. So this week, I got invited to school for Donuts with Dads. And I was reminded that last year I failed as a parent not to go because I had COVID. Pretty legit reason, right, not to get people sick. And this year my daughter kept asking me, Dad, are you going? Yes, daughter, I am going. Multiple times, Dad, are you going? Yes, I am going. Are you sure that? Yes, I am going. And I get there and... <laughs> I'm looking for my daughter, and then I'm like, I don't see my daughter. And then I realized I was in the wrong classroom, okay? <laughs> and it's easy because, you know, April is the teacher, so I should have known that April was not there, my daughter should not be there. So I finally get to the right classroom, and there behold, I see my daughter, and she's giddy, she's happy. The door opens, and she makes a straight line to me. She hugs me, she gives me this ugly tie that she had made, right? And she goes, look at it, Daddy, right? Look how beautiful it is. And they put it on, and we're all wearing these ties, right, which are horrendous, right? And then we're walking around, and we go to the chapel, and they have, like, tables set up. And then all of a sudden, it hits me. It hits me that my daughter loves me so much. She keeps saying, Dad, I love you. She kept hugging me, squeezing me. I'm like, I'm not worthy of that love. Right? I'm not worthy. But when we let go, right, of that insecurity and those thoughts that you, they told us that we're not worthy, we can embrace that little love. That love that is so pure that they look up to us even though we're not perfect. That's what God did for us. We didn't deserve it. We have not earned it. There's nothing we can do. He freely gives us to us by grace. The question is, do you receive it, and do you believe it, and do you accept it? The eternal ramifications of that sacrificial love. When I look at that picture, right, it reminds me that I am not worthy. But God has made me justice and righteous by faith and by grace. 
to conclude, and as we finish Galatians 2, and we fully understand the eternal ramifications of living by justification by faith in our lives, as a reminder that when we go out of here, there's nothing that we have earned to reserve that love. Not based on personal worth, not because of our last name, not because of our status, our degrees, or our bank accounts, but it's only based on Christ's merits. It's all about Jesus. All the time, always. Hebrews 10, 19. No one is eligible for salvation via works. Can earn it, but we receive salvation as a gift of grace. Titus 3, 7. Jesus is perfectly fulfilled God's requirement of righteousness and holy character. Romans 5, 1. It's always about him. It's never about us. Christ was obedient in death on the cross. Romans 5, 9. He could have easily said, you know what? This is too much to bear. The sins of humanity is too great. I won't do it. No. He did it willingly. We have made sons and daughters. John 1, 12. And I don't know your relationship with your parents. I know what my relationship is with my parents. It is never a perfect one. It's never an easy one. It's never the one that you kind of dream of. Right? But whatever that relationship is with our heavenly parents, our heavenly dad loves us. He's sacrificing, he's seeking us, he's loving us. Embrace that love. All our debts have been paid in full. If you ever had that doubt, right? Like I had in high school and university for most of all, I'm saved. Is my safe, my salvation guaranteed, or how do I know that I'm saved? Right? Fully embrace that your debt has been full in payment. You don't own a cent. There's not an outstanding transaction that you need to pay. All of it has been paid. Romans 6.14, we have been set free. Free from the bondage of sin. We have been set free from fear. We have been set free to pursue the gospel fully. And as we take communion today, right, meditate on what it means to be justified by faith. Do you embrace it? Do you receive it? That sacrificial love made at the cross. There's nothing that we can do to receive it. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. It has to be received by faith. 
Father, we thank you for your sacrificial love and the price you paid at the cross. Not just for my sins, but for all humanity who chooses to receive that gift, Father. Thank you for the welcoming church that believes in Jesus Christ. If we have doubts, Father, I pray that you meet them. You ensure them that they are loved. They are worthy, Father, because you have made them your son and children. Thank you, Father, that we also have the opportunity to have communion. It's an opportunity to explore our hearts. That the Holy Spirit convicts us, Father, any wrongdoing. But it allows us to celebrate and allows us to embrace your sacrifice of the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to be reminded once again of your sacrifice of the cross. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.